Welcome to What About This? Hi, I'm Rachel, and thank you for joining me today. This episode is inspired by a recent trip I took to New York City, where I saw a live urban dance show called Beyond Babel, created by Kian and Mary and Hideaway Circus. Picture an old, small gym, and just 10 feet away is a cast of 12 exceptional dancers moving, sweating, pushing the limits on how each part of the human body can communicate through fast, often in sync, detailed hip-hop choreography. I left with my heart pounding and brain buzzing with adrenaline, as if I was one of the dancers. But then (laughs) I quickly had to realize that I am not a trained dancer and actually have never experienced what it's like to learn a complex dance choreography. Do dancers really push aside their analytical thinking minds and rely solely on muscle memory? And if so, what What is muscle or body memory? I knew I had to start by talking with my friend Kojo, who is a Toronto-based hip-hop dancer, choreographer, and teacher. His dancer name is Just Touch. Hello, Kojo. Hello, Rachel. How are you? How are you? It's been a minute. I'm doing well, but it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's been like two years. I know. I can't believe it, Rachel. It's been two years. How how has the dancing world treated you the last two years? You know, just like everyone else, the pandemic came in. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. You know what I mean? Like a lot of things were like closing. A lot of uh, studios I was working in and, uh, and also the gyms I was working in uh, obviously were closing. But... Uh, thankfully, a lot of the productions, the television and film productions around the city, um, were able to still keep going. And I'm sure during these times you've been tested. What keeps your love of dance going? Like I said, I've been in dance in different forms since 1998. Um, and that's because I love it so much. Um, just the fact that you, com- you can communicate without having to say a word. I love the feel when I get on stage. And I can bring people in to uh, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm feeling, and take them somewhere. For however long I'm on stage, my goal is always to take them, take the audience with me, take them on the same ride I'm on. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I can do this with dance with people from different countries, di- different um, ethnic backgrounds, cultures, religion. Like dance is the universal thing. I always say. Like, you may not be able to understand what I'm saying, my language, but you can understand when I dance how I'm feeling, if I'm doing it correctly, though, obviously. Right. I mean, that's why I love watching it. Now, the part that I'm still really flabbergasted by is how do you get to the point as a dancer when you know the piece so well and there's no time to be thinking about each move? Is that when you start relying on body or muscle memory? It must be so hard. It can be a challenge. Like, it's not something where you can just, okay, let's get together for two hours for a week, and then we're ready to perform. No. A lot of these productions you're seeing, uh, these routines, these crazy, intense, intricate, mind-blowing dance routines that you see, 
take months, months to, first of all, be thought up, be choreographed, and then it takes hours and hours and hours of rehearsals to learn. But first of all, I always say it's about just being able to to learn the the sequence. And really, truly, if you've ever been in a rehearsal, it's about just starting with one step and just building from there. But it's muscle memory is a thing where the more you practice, the more you start remember what comes after what. Like I, when I teach, because I teach a lot as well, I have a lot of new students who come and take my class. And first things first, they're worried about remembering all the choreo they have to learn. Um, and at first, yes, it can be challenging, but dancers find that as you continually go over the step and repeat it, and and it does take some time, though, it starts to click. There's something at some point will click. That's your muscle memory will click in, and, and your body will just be able to just do the moves. And I like how you said it's just a series of sequences exactly. that you then do again and again and then extend on and then go back. Exactly. So, even how we so you don't how extend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't extend until you get the first part of the sequence. Okay, we mm-hmm. got that. Boom. Let's move on to the next part. And then it just builds. It just builds that way, like you're building a story. Do you ever worry that people don't know about the work needed to do become mm-hmm. a dancer? Mm-hmm. Is, is that a concern? That's, yep. Yes, it is. And that is the other side of the sword. Like, dance is, like I said, is everywhere, all over social media. So, you see that love, but then it tricks you. Like all these dance shows, it tricks you into believing. I find that dance is easy. Dance doesn't take a lot of talent. Dance doesn't take much time to pick up and learn. I think a lot of times people are watching a lot of these dance shows and think that, oh, wow, they only need, like, they don't see all the work that goes behind the stages. Okay, they just put two random people together. It doesn't matter if they know the style but you give them a couple hours and then no matter what the style is, boom, they can dance like they're professionals and they've been doing it for years. That's not the case. Um, All of these TikTok videos, they look great. You see your mom, you see moms and dogs and grandparents and and this person, they're all dancing. So it fools people into thinking that, Hey, I can do it too. And I'm now at the same level as, someone who has been dancing for years and years and years and years and years. Mhm. And so where you see dance right now, are you, do you are you optimistic that it is something that people value since it is everywhere? But how do we instill that idea of work ethic and repetition and skill development? Yeah. Where do you see that? Are, are, I, a lot of people are getting trained, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Would you yeah. <laughs> That's the hard thing. That's the hard thing. That's where a lot of that's where you have to really do this for uh, for the love of dance. You have to be a dance artist because you love it. I've I've come up with so many dance artists. Some who are doing it for the right reasons. They love it. They're still performing. They're getting a big income. Fantastic. Some of them are not. They have to find their other ways and means of of surviving, but they still dance because they love it. Thanks for chatting with me today. No problem. And if anyone's looking for me, my IG handler is just touch, J-U-S-T-U-C-H. There I put a lot of the stuff I work on and do. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I'll keep you in touch.
Yeah. Please. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. So I wanted to learn more about how our bodies and our muscles, and of course the connection to the brain, can actually store this memory in such a deep place where the dancer no longer needs to be conscious of the dance routine. I reached out to Carolyn Hebert, who is a dancer, teacher, and wrote a really interesting article in the Dance Current about her research on movement memory. So my name is Carolyn. At the University of Ottawa, I'm doing research in dance and memory and um, our experience of dance, specifically of tap dance um, and how we experience tap dance with other musicians. Now, I'm not a, a dancer, but I love to dance. And I know when I think I'm grooving and I think I got some moves and then I see a dancer and you guys work on a whole other level. It's like, how can your body remember these very intricate amazing choreography. How, how can you explain that to someone who's just a, a disco dancer? <laughs> well, I think there's, there's so many different types of dance. And so, you know, certain forms of dance, like ballet, for example, has very specific, what we call codified technique. It's like, there are very specific movements that are associated with a name. So we, we call something like, for example, a tondu is when you extend your foot out in front. And so in ballet, we have all these very specific names for the movements. And, and it's not it's uh, it's very I would say it's much more concrete in terms uh, of the movements you do. And there's other forms of dance like in contemporary dance, for example, or even in and also I would say in tap dance that don't necessarily have names. And so it's a different type of, of memory that you're accessing. A dancer might in their head be saying to themselves like tendu, échappé, plié, pirouette, but but it, when you don't necessarily have that language to just to define those those uh, movements, you have to come up with something else to to remember it. And so a lot of the time you'll hear dancers they scat, they make sounds, they be like um ba ba do ga ba ah shagadi ba. Like they'll use these different sounds to trigger a memory associated with that movement or. One of the things I love in contemporary dance and, and even in jazz dance, often we have um, the choreographers or the teachers who will provide metaphor for something. So they'll say, um, you know, brush the sky, like if you want to reach your hand across the sky or, or it's like driving a car or, OK, thread the needle or something like that to help you remember, oh, this is what is coming. But, but really, at the end of the day, it's a lot of repetition. I've done this same sequence of movements over and over again so many times that it, it's like the body remembers how to, to perform that movement itself. Okay, so that's the part I'm confused. I get stumped on that. <laughs> I guess I'm a very heady person. Like I've, okay. I've played music before. I've been in plays before, but it's very brain driven for me. I, I've never allowed my body to do the memory. Right. And you mentioned this in your article that you wrote um, about implicit and explicit memory. Can you explain what that means in terms of memory? And how do you actually explain where that memory is? In terms of my understanding is that when we perform a specific movement, the neural pathways fire up and we, uh, with between our muscles and our, our brain, there's this connection that is created, kind of like when you drive a car in fresh snow. So when you first put those tires in fresh snow, it, it, it takes a minute. 
it's not really well established of a, of a path, right? But the more you drive that car and those wheels hit that same path, then the deeper that tread becomes in the snow. And the same thing happens with the pathways that cr we create between our muscles and, and the neurons in our brain that are firing. These synapses, is, is the synaptic connections, they they deepen and strengthen between those movements. And so back to the driving a car analogy, myself learning how to drive a car, right? And and understanding that, um, you know, I need to to move my muscles a certain way when I'm driving, holding the steering wheel. It's the same thing for dancers and for people who, who spent time learning how to perform a specific type of dance or to move their body in a specific way that's aligned with dance, right? I, I want to try to be careful there because I believe that really anybody can be a dancer if they based in this idea of spend time just practicing moving their body in that specific way that we might call dance. So the idea of it becoming so ingrained, you've done it repetition, repetition, does that become implicit then? You don't yeah. even have to think about it. Your body's going to do that move. Yeah. So I'm of, I'm of two minds here. So there's, there's one side of me, which is linked to that article that you read, where, you know, we get this idea and, and we speak a lot of, I don't have to think about it. It's just something that happens. It's implicit. And then the other part of me actually believes that that movement is a form of thinking. It is an act of thought. And so movement itself is, and that really is, is where we, we see improvisers, like improvisational, um, dance practices such as in tap dance or in, in contemporary dance. There's a lot of improvisation. And to me, that's really thought movement as thought in action because they're it, using their moving body to think through an idea and to think through an expression. And so therefore that movement itself is the thinking process. But when we're speaking of can choreographed dance, something that that's um, pre-established movements that that the dancer has learned and and retained in their memory and then is kind of for lack of a better way to say it, regurgitating out right like they're they're pulling that back out yes I, I think that we can think of it as a as a form of implicit memory but really when you see a dancer we don't see as a viewer a dancer stop think about what's going on and then doing something it is all a connected activity, even when a dancer is learning something new. You know? That's interesting. So if you do things again and again, it becomes implicit. So you're actually still thinking it, but it's not in the forefront consciousness. It's kind of yeah. somewhere else in the brain because it's done it so many times. I think it probably goes in and out. I would say that it's like very porous. And so sometimes in that same piece that you're watching, there could be moments where the dancer um, is completely, what I would say, immersed in the, in the present moment, which is when they're not explicitly thinking on what's happening to them. Like just trusting that my body knows what to do when I hear the music or if there's no music when I'm with the other person. Really, it gets down to listening. You're listening to the music or you're listening to your body in movement. You're listening to the other person that you're, you're dancing with in the moment. Yeah. And you have to lay those pathways. Yeah, and now I'm going to have that image of the snow and the tires. 
<laughs> How many tire prints do I need? Wow. Um, so, and when you talk about like a groove, right? Like we talk, you said like, you know, you got a groove. Well, a groove is a pathway, like is, is something on a, on a record, right? It's a pathway where we remember the music is in, is stored in the memory. And it's the same thing for movement. It's like you create these grooves that you can sit in and just, uh, dancers might say, you just ride it. You just ride the wave. Yeah. Or the okay. Keep riding and keep grooving. Exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your experience and your information with us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I'm really, I'm really grateful for you reaching out and connecting with me. I love how the human brain has different levels of memory, some more conscious than others. One thing I really enjoyed about doing these podcasts is I could just call up really smart people (laughs) and ask them questions. So I call up Dr. Donna Krasnow, who has such an impressive resume as a modern dancer and choreographer working around the world, and for over 30 years as a professor, researcher, and author of many books at York University in Toronto. Donna's main research focus has been about dance injury prevention conditioning, motor learning, and dance science. I started by asking Donna the question, where is the unconscious body memory stored in the brain? When we learn a new skill, there's a lot of conscious thought, and that really takes place um, in the cerebrum or the frontal lobe in particular, uh, which is the area of the brain that deals with planning and deals with consciousness and deals with um, uh, sort of our, our our awareness of thought process. And then eventually when you repeat a skill over and over and over and over, it becomes a, a kind of motor plan or program that goes into, they say many of our movement memories are in the left parietal lobe. So we have these different lobes, the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, and there's one on each side, the occipital lobe, um, which is like the visual area of the brain. Like we have these different lobes, but they're all in the sort of forward or forebrain, uh, all of those different lobes. So those memories, uh, long-term memories get stored. And once we have that plan, we don't really have to um, think consciously about each and every piece. But the actual patterning of the skill is in a learned place where we don't have to do conscious tracking or thinking about it. And that's what dancers call muscle memory or body memory. And it feels when you're doing it like the memory is coming right from your body and right from the muscles. But in fact, it's all in the brain. So it's all in the brain because it's in that subconscious level now. It doesn't need to be in the forefront. It's stored in the long-term memory. Is that correct? Yeah. We tend to use the word non-conscious because the subconscious, that's a psychological term. And, And, you know, we have so many motor plans stored in there. I mean, you don't even think about it, but even if you just look at walking, you don't have to think about how to walk. And that one is learned developmentally very, very early before you're even thinking, put the left foot forward, then the right foot forward, but we can alter it. You can say, I need to walk faster, I'm late. Or you can say, oh, there's stairs. I need to change, you know, my foot has to go up these stairs. So we can make tons and tons and tons of variations Um, But these motor plans are all stored away in our memory areas. And in your study and in your teaching and your career, you mentioned that 
your understanding of brain science really allow your career to grow and your skills to grow. Can you explain more about that? Well, I would say that one of the biggest ways it influenced my teaching is that I learned patience. Because I, when I was a young teacher, I would give a person a correction. I'd say, well, why didn't they fix that? I gave them the correction. Why didn't they fix that? And I began to understand through studying more about motor learning that um, some things take a long time. Realignment work, if, especially if you're dealing with adult dancers, that can take years to really reorganize the skeleton and, and all the joints of the body to a healthier place when they have bad habits. And so I, I learned a kind of, of patience in my teaching by understanding that the brain just needs time. Well, I was just thinking about that. Like if you gave the instruction or the image of curling like a cave and they think they're doing it, but you don't see it. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. You're like, well, I don't well, know. So right. <laughs> right. And I, as I say, I learned about how to, how to use lots of different strategies of communicating information. I also learned that um, when we sleep, that's an important time of what's called memory consolidation. So things we've learned during the day, they get consolidated into our memory storage when we're sleeping. And so I learned as a teacher, if I was giving an exercise and I'd give feedback and they'd try it again and it'd get a little better and then they'd try it, I'd give more feedback and, they, and, and I would see when they, it wasn't going to get any better on Tuesday. It just, that, it just wasn't. And so I'd say, okay, that's good for today. That was really good. You did, that's, you did great. Let's leave that and go on to the next thing. I would know that if I came back to it the next day or in a couple of days, it actually would be better than when we left it. And so what's I, happening, it gives it time to go into the long-term memory. The brain actually yeah. takes the memories and puts ideas together. Like it might say, well, gee, this piece of this phrase is actually like this piece of information over here. And it'll start to make these associations that you might not consciously make in class when you're learning it. But that's what the brain will do at night when you're sleeping. And I have to say, Rachel, honestly, I probably know less than a 20th of what there is to know about the brain and the neural system in relation to dance. And that's really giving myself a big pat on the back. If it's even a 20th, that's a big deal. I mean, there is so much to know and it's changing day to day as we learn more. I mean, they used to say when I was first studying the brain that when neurons die, they're never replaced. They don't grow back. I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, we now know that that's just not true. You know, sometimes people, they say, oh, that person will never walk again or they'll never get use of that limb again. And the brain will find new neural pathways and regenerate some of the nervous system and reroute things and really figure out how to how to reuse that limb that someone said you're never going to use that again. So the, the brain is so incredibly way into our older years. It is so capable of learning and so capable of change. And I wonder if that's why some scientists look at dance as a way to understand how the neurons can be regenerated and finding new pathways by moving your body in different ways. And the thing about dance is that it, it relies, I mean, I think if you were to do, you know, scans of people's brains when they're dancing, so many brain areas would light up. 
because you're using your vision, you're using all your senses, you're, you know, you're using your analytic numerical aspects of your brain, you're using your spatial uh, concept and awareness. So I think that that's one of the reasons why dance is so incredible. You know, they're using dance now with Parkinson's and they're using dance with so many uh, different conditions and different situations where people are in accidents or people have deficits. Um, and it's it's just an amazing tool to help people explore and find their capacities, their capabilities. So the more we get to understand how the human brain works, we start diving into the world of dance science, which I didn't know existed before. And as Dawn is saying, we can start seeing dance both as an impressive art form, but also as a type of therapy for people who are faced with various neuro disorders. Then as luck would have it, at Canada's own National Ballet School, I was introduced to Dr. Rachel Barr, who manages their older adult programs that has a focus on the physical and psychosocial benefits of dance. Thank you for having me and great name as well. Uh, currently, I'm the Director of Research and Health at Canada's National Ballet School. Um, and I also uh, lead research uh, both in the area of dancers' health and well-being and in the area I think people would understand most as dance for health and wellness. Okay, so what is dance for health and wellness? I would say in the, the, the last several decades, there has been more and more health researchers that have been paying attention to some very specific benefits of dance. And so this has really uh, grown into um, a large field and it helps to highlight what I personally, having, I, I was a professional dancer, so I uh, lived it. I know some of the many benefits of having dance as part of your life. My research has focused on dance in older adulthood and uh, has focused broadly in older adulthood, but also in, in two uh, specific clinical populations, which, which is people living with Parkinson's disease and people living with dementia. Okay, so understanding dance and its effect on the brain helps you understand how to, for example, Parkinson's, how to control motor areas of the brain. Is that correct? Some have uh, focused their research on trying to understand the experience of dance in the brain for people with Parkinson's. But more broadly, the, the focus of, of my research is actually, it's more process. It's, it's more understanding the experiences of people, for example, living with Parkinson's who dance and uh, highlighting why it is that they should be dancing. So sometimes that's the outcomes, like the physical benefits, the improvement of their balance, of their posture, of their gait, which are particularly significant if you're living with Parkinson's. But more broadly uh, than that, and more qualitative work that, that I've done has actually tried to capture more of, of the artistic experience and why uh, should be dancing, why dance is so adaptive. It's been around throughout human history across cultures. Um, and so really understanding more, more of that experience. How does accessing what we do when we dance help the brain find new ways? Is that the idea is using parts of the brain that haven't been used before in a way that a dancer does? Sure. So that's certainly uh, the, the, the theory sort of being proposed, you know, with people living with, with Parkinson's disease specifically, 
There's been work about rhythmic cueing, for example, and so cueing movement to music can be particularly helpful. The other component of dance that it is a form of expression, it's a language in and of itself. And so, for example, uh, people living with dementia who, who may have lost some of their, their language skills are able to communicate and express themselves through their bodies, through dance. Uh, of what, what I've observed in my work is that dance provides opportunity, uh, again, to express themselves perhaps when language is, is no longer um, an option, a medium for them. The work that we're doing, a lot of it at, at uh, NBS, at Canada's National Ballet School, is creating ways to make dance accessible. If you have dancing students who have dementia, will they come next class remembering because they actually did it physically and repeated it? Our approach is, is again, about an artistic experience and not about therapy. So it's not our intention, but I have actually seen it where the rehearsal of a dance week after week with the same group where the, the person may not recognize me and why I'm in the room at the beginning of the class, but they know the dance to know what comes next in the dance. These dancers are receiving the opportunity to rehearse and they're also able to learn and that can be very meaningful in terms of how they can enjoy the experience because again, it's it becomes more familiar to them. And, and we know that when we, we know a dance, it's more fun to, to do. I guess one of my last questions would be, what would you wish if you could have a magical wand, how we would view or incorporate dance in our lives? There's that I think about 40,000 years of human history or we know people have been dancing. There's good reasons for that. It's It's clearly, adaptive if we could open our minds to up to experiencing more of it i think we we would help to explain to people better how and why we all should be dancing and and that's certainly been my experience i know i've, I've for example there's lots of research papers about why people living with parkinson's should dance and all the benefits but i have found that one of the most uh, profound ways to encourage a neurologist, for example, to start recommending it to their patients, to invite the neurologist to come and dance in a class with people living with Parkinson's. And it's not that they weren't convinced by the, the research, but the experience is what motivated them to really share the idea of dance. And I, I've rarely seen somebody try a dance opportunity that we've made accessible and not wanted to, to come back. <laughs> so I think that speaks for itself. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I feel like dancing. <laughs> I'm going to go put some music on and dance in my kitchen. <laughs> Sounds good. If, if, if I've inspired one person to dance with this talk, then uh, I feel quite good. Well, I hope you're busting some awesome dance moves right now and have a new appreciation of the discipline and time dancers put into learning a choreographed dance piece. It must feel so awesome when the brain creates a long-term muscle memory to a dance piece and you can perform it with little conscious effort. And the best part is, it's never too late to give it a try ourselves. Our brain is capable of learning sequences of movements throughout our whole lives. It actually likes it. Thank you to our awesome guests today who live and breathe dance. 
Kojo, or his hip-hop handle named Just Touch, Carolyn Hebert, Dr. Donna Krasnell, and Dr. Rachel Barr at Canada's National Ballet School, which offers impressive dance programs for adults in Toronto. Please check out their website. Another big thank you to Jason with sound editing. And finally, to you, my listening friend. I hope learning about what the brain is capable of inspires you as much as it does for me. And please keep dancing. Talk to you soon.